Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. It always happens when demand takes a turn for the worse and prices drop. The majority of incoming questions shift to where we are relative to cost curves. Industry cost structures are a hugely important part of commodity analysis and they do offer an indication of when we might get some fundamental support from supply adjustment in weak markets. Of course, cost curves themselves, while presented as static entities, are by their very nature moving all the time, particularly in a world such as we have now where currencies and energy prices are rapidly shifting. So where are we relative to cost curves? In general, we're still above them. Yes, costs are rising. And yes, prices are falling. That's why you're seeing increased caution around potential dividends from metals and mining producers in the second half of the year. However, most are still paying dividends, which generally, though admittedly not always, means they are profitable. Rewind to March, we had prices 50% or more above marginal costs in many cases. Now that average is more like 10 to 20%. There are outliers, however. For example, thermal coal continues to trade at multiples of marginal costs, even in the more controlled Chinese market. But the only major commodity trading at levels currently where we might see supply forced offline in short order is aluminium, with marginal suppliers in Europe in particular under huge pressure. I've seen some suggestions that as much as 50% of global aluminium smelter capacity might be lost making at present. That seems a little high, particularly when premiums are taken into account, but it does make aluminium the natural defensive in base metals at present. Meanwhile, the next commodity needing to invoke a supply response is likely to be iron ore, given the ongoing cuts we're seeing in Chinese steel output. I'd be looking at a level below $90 a tonne before this process really starts in earnest. Just some things to think about in terms of cost structures over the coming quarter. Firstly, with visible inventories low and supply chain still not fully functioning, do we actually need to trade into cost curves? You could certainly argue that until inventories are returned to normal levels, we don't actually need to force supply adjustments. Secondly, watch out for more strategic announcements by major producers taking capacity offline even though it is still profitable, particularly if the longer term view is for higher prices. We've already seen a couple of major producers allude to this in copper, suggesting that at $3 a pound, well, they may as well keep it in the ground. So that's been common over this results season. And lastly... With European energy prices surging once more, gas flows dropping, you should expect further cuts to be announced in a number of areas. Aluminium, zinc, ferroalloys, steel, particularly electric arc furnaces, that's just to name a few. However, if there is one commodity mispriced relative to European cost structures at the moment, it is nitrogen, where my colleague Joe Jackson has highlighted that the price is currently over 50% below marginal production costs. Property concerns in China just won't go away, with the past two weeks seeing the widely reported mortgage payment protests across a number of cities and growing concerns over developer liquidity. Even amid a plethora of concerning economic data, June's property numbers for China stood out as being particularly weak. Fixed asset investment in real estate down 5.4% year-on-year year-to-date. Land area purchase down 53% year-on-year. New starts down 45%. Completions down 41%. Both of those are the sharpest drop in recent history. Although the year-on-year decline in sales was less than seen in April and May, minus 23% year-on-year, it still suggests efforts to stabilise property are not yet having the impact Beijing might like. 
Now, to address this, there has been reports that the State Council has approved a plan for a real estate fund to support distressed developers and nominated by local authorities. Indeed, my friends at PRC Macro, they've noted that developer liquidity problems are now expanding beyond loans to suppliers and to households. Also, the central government has demanded that local governments make completions a top priority and commercial banks are being asked to lend more to developers to make this happen. While the wider Chinese policy response to the current economic turmoil is somewhat muted, any pickup in completions would be viewed as base metal positive later in the second half, and that remains our base case even if Beijing is adopting a no-new-stimulus approach and shifting the focus to employment and away from GDP growth. What happens if we don't get any signs of recovery in the property market? Well, that's when we really have to start talking about cost structures and the need to take metal supply offline. Now, one area where we are getting output cuts is stainless steel, and that's a problem for the nickel market. Usually in nickel, it's concerns on the supply side that are to the fore. And while we are set to record the highest absolute supply growth in nickel's history in 2022, with Indonesia continue to ramp up MPI mat output, the numbers aren't actually out of line with our expectations. Rather, it's the demand side where we are making adjustments, and that's pushing the balance into surplus for this year. The build in stainless steel inventory at both mills and traders in China over the course of the second quarter was counter-seasonal. And in response to this, mills have curtailed output. Production in stainless steel in June dropped about 3.6% year-on-year, and interestingly, the higher-quality nickel-rich 300-series stainless steel saw a much larger 10% year-on-year fall. The deteriorating outlook for stainless steel can be seen in the rather dramatic downward revisions for Q2 and Q3 estimates by third-party research providers between their respective current data release and the prior month's issue. On average, we've seen cuts of over 780,000 tonnes from stainless output over Q2 and Q3, which is equivalent to a 4% drop between data releases. With China's MPI imports from Indonesia running up 30% year-on-year, European stainless orders plummeting, there's a feeling that nickel prices and more specifically NPI prices, will likely face headwinds until inventories are normalised. Same is true for spot ferrochrome. Longer term, still believes there's a lot to like in the nickel market, but for now, not even strong battery demand nor low exchange inventory can offset the stainless struggles. Finally this week, I want to briefly set out my views on whether a lack of metal availability will slow the pace of energy transition, particularly in a world where medium-term renewable energy and electric vehicle targets are still being increased. And the answer is yes, they probably will, but only if short, if frequent, transient bursts. Rather, material design and use will have to change to permit energy transition growth. Now, copper's role in the fuel-to-materials transition is clear and increasingly well understood as is the relative lack of mine supply growth in future years. However, we simply won't run out of copper. Instead, we'll price at a level to convince someone to use an alternative, and when the end use is transfer of electricity, aluminium is the natural beneficiary. We have assessed potential aluminium growth in renewable energy installations, and expect this to total 3.8 million tonnes per annum of demand in 2030. That's up from about 2.6 million tonnes per annum today. Bear in mind that many of the solar panel frames are made from aluminium extrusions. And this growth is over and above the use in electric vehicles, where aluminium is used not only in the vehicle body, but also within the battery casing, battery cables, motor, power distribution unit and charger. 
all told, this could be 8 to 10 million tonnes of aluminium semis. Demand up, scrap availability would also naturally increase. All told, aluminium is perhaps the forgotten beneficiary of energy transition investment. To leave you with a statistic that often surprises people, to replace one tonne of copper in wiring with the same conductivity, you'll need half a tonne of aluminium. But given the density differences, this means a significantly larger cross-sectional area, which is the real challenge for design. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. If you have any questions or suggestions, just get in touch directly. And I do hope you can join me next time round to discuss more pertinent issues for the global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton.com at bimo.com To access our full disclosures please visit researchglobalzero.bimocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure